probably shared quite a few of those influences, didn't we? Because yeah. Tim's mum and dad are my godparents. So we even, you know, we grew up in the same town and have known each other since we were small kids. And um, a lot of time was spent in the, sitting in the back of Tim's mum and dad's car going on long journeys uh, all over the place, often to cricket matches and stuff. And we, yeah, there was a lot of music played in the, in the car at the time. We didn't always agree though, did we? I think we we were united on the Beatles and Radiohead. Simon and Garfunkel as well. That was was that that um, live recording from Central Park. Yeah. That was very popular. Yeah. Oh, I was I couldn't really get you into U two. No. At that stage <laughs> at least. No, that was later on though. Was that it? was more of a a teenage thing, yeah. You because. Tim and Richard were that bit older than me, so they were, you know, they, yeah, oh, oh yeah. <laughs> but they kept like, you know, they, they were sort of massively into U2 and REM and they were trying to kind of, you know, impose their tastes on me and it took me a while <laughs> to catch up, I think. Uh, you know, because, yeah, there's the Beatles and Buddy Holly and Paul Simon and all that stuff, obviously, is the sort of stuff you get from your parents. Yeah. Because um, that was their generation. But um, for me, like the first kind of uh, seeing the light with actual contemporary pop music at the time was, was uh, the Pet Shop Boys. Um, Erasure as well. Erasure, yeah. Um, just, uh, yeah. And I think you can still see that, sort of, or hear that uh, super kind of melodic influence in our music. Yeah, for sure. And you got, and so the beginnings of Keen started with a band playing covers, right? Is that or is that a misinterpretation? Yeah, I think, yeah, that's sort of slightly, yeah, been misinterpreted over the years. We definitely yeah. played some covers, um, sort of learning how to to do it and how everything worked together and all of that. But there were always original songs right from the the very beginning. Um, so, so you put, you know you formed a band to to write and make your own music. That was kind of like the aim from the offset, as opposed to just going around playing pub gigs and playing covers. Yeah, we were never a sort of kind of function band. Once <laughs> we would have been too crap, really. Yeah, yeah. To yeah. Fun show, but we've got really yeah, proper musicians in. But um, yeah, I think we liked that thing of you know. Well, I suppose all the bands we loved wrote their own songs, basically. Um, you know, so obviously the Beatles were sort of that was a huge shift at the time in the 60s from the sort of songwriter, uh, pro-songwriter kind of industry into people, into bands actually writing their own songs and, and yeah, I think we loved, loved that idea. Mm. And wh when did you decide to form a band? What, like what kind of... Well I, I remember doing stuff with Tim when I would have been probably 10 or 11. <laughs> Thankfully, those recordings have, have been lost or destroyed. <laughs> yeah. But we definitely, we were definitely doing stuff even right back then. But not, we didn't really formally start trying to do it properly until uh, I was probably sixteen, seventeen, and you guys were nineteen, twenty, something like that. Less yeah, I mean, our first actual gig was in 1998, so yeah. um, we sort of did that around for quite a long time. Where was that? 
was uh, the Hope and Anchor in uh, Islington, legendary yeah. little uh, rock venue. Yeah, it's still there. Isn't it still there? Yeah, yeah. Very much. And how 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 was your first performance? <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't very good. Uh, your first note was a semitone out. Yeah, we started with a mistake and <laughs> carried on in the same vein. Really, we had some. But it obviously know, made you want to continue. Well, that's the thing. I mean, it's addictive, yeah. isn't it? The feeling yeah. you get to the end of it and you think, "Oh my God, this is the best thing ever." Um, it's a great. It's such a thrill. Yeah, and I think we did it in quite an old-fashioned way. You know, it took us a long time to get a record deal, and we had to really learn from our mistakes. And there wasn't really a scene or anyone around who was kind of giving us great advice. So we we kind of had to learn it all as we went along. You guys had to show quite remarkable perseverance by the sound of it. <laughs> yeah, we're very stubborn. Yeah, because if your first gig was not '98 and your first record came out in 2004. And today, especially, like people don't really seem to like putting in much graft before <laughs> before making it big. It's like you know the X factor and all that seems to be more conventional route. I, I mean, I guess, I guess that's kind of got worse. It's I think it's uh, in a way it's easier. There's more help out there. So there's the music colleges which have sprung up all over the place, um, and then obviously in terms of recording as well. Like in those days. Really, if you wanted to make a decent recording, you had to try and get some downtime off a, a, a proper professional studio. Whereas now, obviously, you can you can make great recordings in your bedroom, and so I think that made it harder for us at the time. So, were you very keen? Was your kind of aim to get a, to get noticed and get a record deal? I suppose so. Yeah, I mean, yeah. we didn't really know what else to do. You know, <laughs> just sort of look at. Yeah. Your heroes, and th- you know, you read a bit about them and think, oh yeah, well they did this, and then they played this great gig, and someone from a record company came along and saw them, and so, you know, we kind of thought, well, that will all happen in a couple of weeks. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, it was, it was. Um, I think we, we did have. I suppose we were quite ambitious in terms of the bands that we liked were kind of big bands. It wasn't like we were sort of wanted to keep things super kind of indie and were sort of scared of getting big or anything but um, I mean to be honest so I think at that stage all you're really thinking about is getting a record made and that's sort of the dream and you don't really think beyond that. Um, and what was, the, what was sort of like the toughest point along the way to getting that record deal? Well there was a time when we were offered a record with well we thought a record deal was on the table with um what were they ministry of sound mm, 2m 2m which were you know which was a decent enough label at the time and yeah we thought the deal was on the table and we were all waiting at um richard old drummer's flat ready to go weren't we and go off and sign it very excited and then it just we waited and waited all day and it just never materialized and i think that was yeah, that I remember that feeling like a bit of a killer blow. But I, don't, I think we were always just very stubborn, weren't we? We thought we're gonna we're gonna see this through and and make it happen. Um, and in these years, like how many gigs would you play? You no, know, were you were you literally touring up and down the UK and really, or was it mainly in London? 
Yeah, we were living in London, but I mean, yeah, obviously you've got very sort of limited funds and limited demand <laughs> as well. So we play like yeah. every probably a gig every two or three weeks, was it? I think you were only allowed to play one a month or something, mm, weren't you? Maybe? There was a bit of a thing on the because you were basically playing right around Camden, wasn't it? Yeah, it's sort of North London um, circuit. Yeah, and they all obviously had to build up a bit of demand of your sort of twenty friends who you could, you know forced to come and see you uh, yet yeah. again. Um, <laughs> we used to go and play, we played in Maidstone, we, we yeah. played in uh, part in High Wycombe a couple of times. I mean anywhere we could, anywhere who would have us basically. Um, but we played so many gigs to, to really not many people if any. Um, we did we did have organised one little tour I think, or was that something to do with Fierce Panda? I can't honestly remember. <laughs> it's too long ago. But, yeah. Yeah. yeah, but yeah, I mean, we we would rehearse a lot, especially as time went on. We we got more and more focused about it, and mm. just tried to get better and better. And we were writing and writing all, all, more all the time, and the songs were getting better. And our playing was, I mean, bear in mind we were really total chances as far as the actual playing went. We, you know, we needed to practice a lot. Mm. Um, and were you were you guys playing by ear? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and writing by it. Yeah. 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 Ish. Yeah. But it's, yeah, it's all all natural. And so so the um. So there was there was, was there like a, a special gig and a special turning point where where you met the label. Uh, did it transpire as you as you had kind of dreamed? It sort of, yeah. Well, we'd been out to, we went out to France for a summer in 2001 yeah. because this programmer, at the time, was programmer, producer guy, just guy James Sanger, who was a guy we met on our sort of, uh, I think, working with a producer called Mark Wallace, who, who gave us a bit of a tryout at one point. And um, yeah, so James said, Oh, I've got this old farmhouse out in northern France and you guys should come out and basically be my guinea pigs in terms of recording there for the first time and it was he was doing it up <laughs> as he went along um, so it was quite dilapidated but it was lovely really um, and we yeah we spent a summer there we started with everyone full of kind of enthusiasm and um, high hopes and actually we made some really great strides I think at the time sort of in terms of the sound of the band and Tim had written a lot of really good songs at that point which ended up on Hopes and Fears so we were working on those songs and yeah and that, that, that sort of slight, that turned a bit sour towards the end and we came back to the UK and I, would, I think it was probably after that wasn't it that we then met with Simon Williams from Fierce Panda, he came to a show a little acoustic gig that we did at the Betsy Trotwood in Farringdon, um, and yeah, and then he's you know he said, "This sounds great, and I'll put a, a song or two out for you guys." So he put everybody's changing out on Fierce Panda um, as as a single before a single. it ended up on Hopes and Fears. Exactly, and then it got on Radio One on Stephen Mack's show, evening show, and, and things then suddenly things changed. Gathered, yeah, yeah, huge pace. I mean that that record really. Yeah, I mean, I still remember listening to it. It's a really, it's just a fantastic album. It hasn't hasn't aged at all. But it also felt at the time like 
you guys were revisiting that sort of song, the sort of Beatlesy type of songwriting, and just making it sound fresh and relevant. And like, do you guys, you know, are you, do you still look back on that record and think like, you know, wow, like this is awesome? <laughs> Um, and do you still enjoy playing those songs? Yeah, I mean, it's a very exciting time mm. for us. I mean, it, it's something I, I, you mentioned about sort of X Factor and stuff. When, when I look at all the people who are starting out now, they seem so sort of knowing. They all seem to have such a grip on like the industry and stuff. I mean, we had no idea what we were doing, even with hopes and fears. Like we just, they were just a bunch of songs we'd written and we were playing in the pubs and stuff. And then it's like, okay, it's time to record an album. And so we just did our 12 best ones. <laughs> we had no concept of like, I don't know. It certainly became something quite big. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was, it was very, very exciting once that started happening and you started hearing like everybody's changing and some really, you know, on the radio. Um, and then it was just felt like it was one single after another, and everything just went amazingly. Um, yeah. And yeah, I think I think probably now, probably now more than ever, in a way, we sort of treasure those songs um, because they they do, you know, especially over a period of time, you see how much they mean to people. And it's yeah, yeah, they really do. And it's it's a classic album, but I also think that you guys followed it up with a really good record. Because that's not different. Because was it? I think Hopes and Fears came out the, f the same year that the Killers released their first album, and so, those yeah. those records were like the records of the year, just on repeat. And then the Killers one follow up was pretty good, but I remember especially a Bad Dream from the sec from the second record. That's such a brilliant song. I mean, did you were you did you feel like a huge amount of pressure? Follow, following up that first record, or were you just having the time of your lives by that stage? <laughs> <laughs> we weren't having the time of our lives, that's for sure. It was quite a difficult period, because I, I was having quite a lot of problems. I, I found it very difficult to adjust to life in the spotlight, having kind of thought it would be the answer to all my problems. Yeah, so yeah. Soon realised that all it did was shine a light on it, and actually that wasn't didn't feel good. Um, I just remember I put my weight and I started taking loads of drugs and um, yeah and so 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 for me personally it was a good very dark time and then I think that was yeah I mean I think that our, our relationships as a band were strained um, and you could definitely hear that in Under the Iron Sea it's a, it's a much darker more sort of introspective record um, it's it's pretty haunt, like quite a kind of haunting vibe to it, but I I enjoyed that personally. I don't know. Yeah, that's sorry. What it made it, it. Probably what made it a good record. In a way. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. It is, yeah. And it's nice that it's you know the first record is very romantic and very I mean, it's pretty sparse in a way, mm. isn't it? It's quite simple. Um, but the second record is sort of super dark and layered and and yeah. soundscapey. Um, and so in a way, I think all of that stuff, even though it was <laughs> difficult. At the time, being in it, it, it actually made for a record that was a real contrast from the first one, yeah. um, and which I think, in the long term, has been a really good thing for us because it's, yeah. you know, it, it. There were plenty of 
people who would have liked just to basically do another hopes and fears or try to the US label for a start. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think the US label were quite surprised when they heard it probably. But yeah. yeah. But it sort of once we'd done that it then meant that we were sort of free to I think we just set out our stall as being a kind of band that wanted to keep changing all the time and, and well, that's what we've tried to do. And wh- when you guys are making a record, how long do you usually take? Well, Tim locks himself away for probably a year or two, isn't it? <laughs> Writing songs. And it can be a while. Yeah. I mean, it's, what is it? It takes a few years all in probably doesn't it I think sort of including the writing and then the, the time of the band in the studio taking it out on the road I mean yeah it's yeah it's a couple of years probably um, it depends I mean some people are great at sort of just knocking these albums out really quickly <laughs> but we're, we, we're sort of quite methodical and quite slow about it um, and so for, for this latest record was it seven years since you'd made a record or you know quite a gap seven or eight years or something like that seven years yeah yeah. Um, and did you sort of have like a huge backlog of songs stored up for it or well funnily enough not really Um, I I did have a lot of songs but um, the thing about Keen is that we've you, you know whether we like it or not, we sort of bring out the best in each other musically, and and um, so I found sort of working on my own, not really knowing if there was going to be a keen album. I, you know, I wrote lots of songs, but I I wasn't really sure whether you guys would. Yeah, I wasn't sure whether we. Were, I mean, I didn't. It, yeah, I definitely didn't feel like I was writing for a keen album. And I definitely didn't feel like I was writing my best stuff, and it wasn't really until quite. You know, a couple of years ago, probably I started sort of tapping into a more um, a, a vein of stuff that I felt was a much higher quality. And then, even after we started talking about doing this album, I think that then I started writing a lot more. And I think, you know, it just felt like there was a. I guess you you want to have a kind of energy. You're capturing a particular story, um, and you want to make a cohesive album rather than a than a sort of gathering together a bunch of songs you've written over seven years, if you know what I mean. So um, so actually most of the songs are written in probably the space of a year or something. And c- because it had been, you know, quite a lengthy gap since you guys had worked together and and that was following, I mean, I guess it would have been like 15, 20 years. Mm-hmm. How, you know, how, is it, how, how has it felt kind of getting the band back together and going out on the road and has it been, must have been a, quite a joyous experience after such a gap yeah it's been really nice um, it's funny because uh, as you say the band has been around for such a long time especially when you include kind of growing up in the same town and going to the same schools and, and knowing each other sort of so well that actually although f- five six years we were apart not not making music together in some ways it's a long time also in the context of that whole story it's, it's not actually not very really long time, yeah. no no but but also i think the other thing is when you know each other so well and you have spent so much time with each other before you kind of know what you're getting <laughs> and, yeah. and and and, and so, yeah and i think we're ready to 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 have that again in our lives and um 
and so, and yeah, and so, and just I think the chemistry in the in the studio and when we're playing live and just the yeah our sort of our friendships and the dynamics of our friendships are, are sort of we're, we're rekindled and yeah I think it's been a mostly a very happy experience. Yeah, it's been brilliant. So I always finish off these interviews with two questions, which are, well, I mean, I kind of already answered, like, I, uh, the deep cut question, because my favourite, I mean, I don't know, I guess it was a single, a bad dream, but that's definitely my favourite keen, you know, uh, deep cut. But I kind of want to, I want to ask you guys what your favourite, like, not, not the singles, not somewhere only we know, or, you know, not anything that's too well, too well known, um, that casual listeners may not have heard before. You know, what are your favourite, you know, keen deep cuts? We've always, particularly in the early days, really prided ourselves on trying to do really great B-sides and lavish quite a lot of attention and probably used up some really good songs <laughs> that, that were only ever heard by like, the kind of hardcore fans. But I think that's really nice. I think that's something we've always been quite proud of is is probably giving a bit more in those sort of places than, than other bands might. So, um, I mean, there are just, there are loads actually that I really love, B-sides and, mm. and sort of bonus tracks and stuff. There's a song called Myth, which I really, which I really love, which I really wanted to be on Strangeland, which was our fourth record. But, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, you know, however much I tried, <laughs> I couldn't convince everyone. Um, that it should be on it but there we go I'd, I'd recommend that one I think it's a beautiful no. song okay. I don't know I mean it's a sort of relatively deep cut but one I really love is um, a song called Try Again which is on the second album um, which is very you know it's just a, another keen ballad <laughs> but it's uh, I don't know we, we, we've been playing it again recently in a yeah. sort of acoustic way and it I was, um, it's funny, you know, having had a break and then you come back to the songs and you start to hear them uh, sort of as if someone else wrote them. And you, you know, sort of, when we were playing that the other day in South America, I was thinking, oh, this is pretty great. Pat on the back for me. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it's okay. Happy with that. And my final question is, I mean, I guess it would be the bands who influenced you in the first place, but who would your greatest of all time be? Your favourite artists? And they can be dead or alive, you know, I'm not just asking for recommendations as to who to include. Well, for me, I think uh, I'm going to say Bruce Springsteen, um, just because I, I mean, I admire him in a lot of different ways, but um, I think his, his integrity, I think, as an artist is something that's really, really admirable. Um, and I think it's, it shows, you know, over the, over the course of whatever it's been, you know, uh, 40 years or something, you know, it shows that, our, you know, the artistic integrity that is, is sort of, he's clung to throughout his career is, um, makes for quite an amazing body of work. It's very inspiring. Yeah, it's, I mean, served him well because he's, the, you know, the critics love him. He's never had that sort of like '80s disco album that everybody loved. <laughs> oh, he did have a couple of things, yeah. Um, that were, were pretty panned, but then, but you know, 
kept on trucking, didn't he? Yes, yeah. but you know he does <laughs> he does what he wants to do at any given time, and he's also quite philosophical about whether it's a commercial success or not. I love you know when he had those those albums that you know after Born in the USA that sort of weren't so commercially successful. He was he's you know it was some great. There's a great quote about how it was sometimes he said someone sometimes it's just someone else's turn, and I really like that. I think you know that can serve a lot of people well when you in, in, a, in a sort of industry that's obsessed with sort of maintaining success all the time. You know, actually, yeah, there's a lot to be said for just doing what you believe in artistically. Mm. Tom, um, I pro I'm going to choose Freddie Mercury just because as a kid growing up wanting to be a front man just he, he was everything to, to me in that respect and you know just a, a, I mean it's really interesting hearing Brian and Roger talk about him and just say that first and foremost he was a great musician and I, I love hearing that because you think of him as the showman and the performer and all of that but actually to think of him as just a great musician. If you think of the yeah. great songs he wrote and harmonies you know, his and piano the... playing and, and yeah, and obviously the control in his voice and I mean it's it's just like a force of nature really to be able to sing like that um, is uh, is unique really with that much kind of passion and emotion and the range and all of that. So I, yeah, I just think every facet of Freddie, you know. His life is, is just so inspirational. Oh, both very good choices. Thanks so much, guys, for taking the time. Thanks, pleasure. Thank you.